1: In a relationship, after a while, the phenomena of that chemical craziness that happens in the beginning of a relationship that's going strong, it dies down. The sexual aspects of a relationship tend to fall to the wayside and it becomes more of an obligation or something that you have to do, which is such a pity because it is one of the few moments in life where adults actually can close the door not have a buddy in in their business and do it for pleasure and for fun and to play.
2: Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect Podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world-leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive, and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness, and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to today's podcast with Bethany Vernon, who is a bold and boundary-defying sexual anthropologist, port couture erotic jewelry designer, and the author of the Boudoir Bible, the uninhibited sex guide for today. Her personal mission is to help women and men enjoy and share pleasure and her book encapsulates this mission with a second book coming very soon that we'll hear about today. Her first book, Boudoir Bible, is a comprehensive and instructional guide to a new sexual landscape, encouraging greater sexual expression that expands and challenges readers to experiment with new routes to pleasure. The book takes a joyful yet scientific and educational tone as Bethany explains the power of bondage, role playing, and sex toys and how they can maximize pleasure along with many more things. Bethany's work is original, it's daring, and deeply human. She's a teacher of bodily wisdom. And not only this, she uses her practices to inform healing. Bethany is a clinical hypnotherapist and uses other tools like ribbons and restraint to help women and couples break old beliefs and paradigms to discover greater sexual awakening. You might be aware already, but the festival format is happening in Arkansas, Bentonville in September. It's a brand new music festival launching that celebrates the arts and technology with installations, a music lineup of dreams and art exhibitions with live performances from artists like Bethany. Tickets are available, so do have a look if you don't have one already. It's happening on the 24th, the 26th of September. But for now, let's dive into today's interview with the awe-inspiring Bethany to talk about her work, her book, her jewellery, and what the road to sexual enlightenment might feel like. What is a favourite quote you return to often, and why?
1: Well, I think that um, maybe one of the quotes that I carry through at all times is, when you learn, teach. When you get, give. And it's uh, Maya Angelou. And uh, Yeah, giving. And when you give, you get back.
2: I love that. And I very much felt like that when I read your book. You really do encapsulate that quote. So thank you. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of and why?
1: Well, I guess it could be uh, be careful what you wish for and what you put out there. I do believe in the power of our thoughts and our words. 25 years ago, I was a young designer and already had my brand, was working with my jewelry around the world, which is the catalyst for the books, um, both the Boudoir Bible and Paradise Found, the upcoming book. And I noticed that there was a designer who was flying high and, you know, filling the pages of Vogue. And it was glamorous, big, giant jewelry in a similar vein than mine, not completely, but... And I wondered to myself, how did he do this. I, you know, in the end, I might even consider going to work for them. And 25 years later, I got the phone call (laughs) to go and work with them. And uh, it's a brand called Pianagonda. And I start actually tomorrow as artistic director. Really, actually, I know as a clinical hypnotherapist that the thing that you think about the most is what's going to happen. So that's how we manifest things. That's how we make our dreams come true. We think about them all the time if you think about it enough, if you want it bad enough, it's going to happen.
2: I mean, I love that because it gives me these tingles of just this idea of that feeling of magic. But where do you think the line is then between shifting your thoughts onto something that inspires you, makes you feel more creative, makes you feel more alive, makes you feel you know, be filled with desire, for example, for, of, of life. And at what point do you, let's say you are upset about something or let's say you are kind of filled with disappointment or you are just going through that human time of feeling a bit,
1: ugh. I believe that we have to learn, and this is maybe the biggest um, downslide of our Western system of education, is that we are not given the keys to understand the mind which is an organ like the heart, it just goes on its own. You know, the mind is like a, so they say in the Buddhist teaching, like a, like a monkey. And if we don't know how to control the mind, then the mind can drive us crazy. If we learn to step behind and look at the mind while it's doing its work and it's overworking always, there's millions of thoughts that happen at every, every moment of the day. If we learn to step behind that, there's a huge shift because we can come to terms with the fact that the mind is just another organ. So it's becoming conscious, it's becoming aware. And until we do that, we live in a society that's taking a pill to calm the mind, taking a drug to calm the mind, taking a street drug to drug the mind. And it is a snake biting its tail, no? A never ending cycle. Until you learn someone gives you the keys so I spend a lot of time passing keys.
2: You do. And I guess you have a particular set of keys that you pass on. I remember hearing you say in, in, in an interview, you know, the mind is a sexual organ too. So through sexual wellness and intimacy, this has a great effect on the mind. Would you mind explaining what you believe this relationship between the mind and pleasure is and how both of them can help each other?
1: So they're definitely interrelated. If you look at it on the other side you know, of the question, think about it. Let's take a really banal situation. You've had a very complicated day. You get home, you're exhausted, and the last thing on your mind is sex, right? Your partner is on the frisky side tonight and you're like, no, 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 no. Finally, if you tell yourself, oh, just give in and relax a little bit, you'll find... Through pleasure and through letting go and through leaving the doldrums of daily life and connecting in that space, which is so unique, you know, when you connect to someone who you are actually blending what we call the peripersonal space with and you enjoy doing that with, it is the best medicine. I mean, from a scientific point of view, we know that pleasure and connection aligns the endocrine system. There are a fabulous release of anti-anxiety, beta endorphins, dopamine, serotonin. The body pharmacy can be activated through connection. And in fact, do you remember as a child watching cartoons and there would be like a love scene and there would be butterflies and hearts popping and that sort of reaction to connection is uh, of course, I call it again, frequency, no? the art of keeping that alive is where i also have spent now almost 30 years of my life working how to help people who care about each other keep on going strong kindle the fires and and keep on having that frizzy vibrant connection
2: to go right back to the beginning you're described as a sexual anthropologist and i imagine most people listening probably have absolutely zero idea what that is so what is a sexual anthropologist and what do you think the most surprising thing you've discovered has been in the last 30 years of studying human connection, intimacy and sex?
1: You know, I come with a background that is uh, a historian uh, with a focus on religion and philosophy studies. My focus became the sexual realm very early. You know, I designed the Sato Shik collection, which was the first part of this erotic journey when I was 21. I... I'm very interested in all things sexual, whether it's ancient sexuality to the future of sexuality. So it just became my focus, you know? And I think it became my focus because no one else seemed to be focusing on it. And for me, also as a designer, my role is to help make everyday life more enjoyable. So I thought, well, there is an enormous void both in the market, because the, the erotic market has always been dominated by products that are not body safe, very focused on the genitals, you know, in many ways, especially when it comes to women's pleasure. I mean, as women, we have been dealing with 2,000 years of oppression, which we have really actually in many ways not shaken.
2: So you've been writing, designing, speaking, educating. And of course, you have been healing, which is such an interesting exploration of healing in this area, which again, I don't even think people are often even looking in this area for a route or a path towards healing. How did that come about?
1: Well, I came onto it because through experience, I understood that, first of all, when I was bound, I started to ask myself why Does it make me feel so good to be bound with a person that I trust? Why does it send me over the edge if I'm blindfolded? Why do I like to be spanked sometimes or somebody I would likes to be spanked? Why? I wanted to answer these questions because I think it's where there was also another blind spot in uh, the information, however difficult it is to access solid, trusted information around our sexuality. This is one of the big questions that was missing. Answers to this question were missing for me. So I started to delve into it. And this is also why the boudoir Bible has a very mind opening effect. Because as I was learning, I was like, okay, I think other people need to understand why, you know, because rather than put it, being put into a box and being called the pervert or the sick person or the kinky person or the SMR, I didn't want those categories. I felt constricted. I feel constricted by categories because I don't fit any of those. So the goal was to shift out of those categories. And in fact, I say it in the beginning of the book, the word normal has no usage in when, it, when it comes to sex, as long as it's being enjoyed by two consenting, two or more consenting adults. And no one's innocence is being infringed on. So one thing led to another. So basically the jewelry led into the writing, the realization that there was a big white space and then going public. And for me, I just kept on pursuing it. I, I knew that it was important. And I knew that someone had to do it. So research
2: suggests that we're having less sex than ever before. What do you put this
1: down to? I think that COVID had a huge impact, even a bigger impact than, let's say, the HIV scare of the 80s. Wow. If you think about it from a timeline point, we go from the sick, liberating 60s, into the free-loving 70s, into the sexual terrorism of the 80s with HIV. Mm. The 90s, we kind of think we recuperate, but sexual education hasn't really gone any further. There's been some female doctors started to make a lot of progress in terms of research and understanding women's bodies, which had not happened before because there were only men studying them. And we were always presumed just to have a pleasure that was sort of like, extremely inferior to that of a man then we had the fabulous introduction of virtual dating uh, applications and online dating which um, led many people to the naive idea that you can spread your sexual energy all over the place and not be affected by it and now we have covid And I think that we spent three years being terrified to hug each other, terrified to kiss each other, terrified even to give a hand. I mean, in Europe, we kiss each other and all of a sudden we didn't know how to say hello. So now we have either total skin hunger and people who feel Mm -hmm. that they've gotten so out of the loop of being intimate with another person, whether it's for one night or a partner that is more consolidated. And we have to shift this now you know, because humans need to touch each other. They need to hold each other. And in my opinion, they need to make love to each other. It's integral to your overall health and mental wellness. So I think it's true that people are not physically connecting as much as they should. And I would say, put down your phones, people.
2: And I feel following on from that, what are some of your advice for people who potentially are struggling with just low libido? And so the motivation isn't there.
1: I believe firmly that we kind of have to sex ourselves out. You know, if you ignore your libido, it will ignore you too for a little while. (laughs) And then it's going to come and get you. It's going to come and get you. And you're going to say, I mean, I've worked with people who have been in situations where they haven't had physical contact for 10 years. Self-loving is critical. When you're not in a relationship, I believe that it's really important to make time for masturbation and for self-care. It is a way to reconnect the body, realign what we were talking about before, the indoctrinal system, open up those feel-good hormones, and radiate a little bit more sexuality. But if you're disconnected from yourself, then how do you expect to connect to somebody else on that level?
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. So you work with individuals, you work with couples, but you also work with groups. And this brings me on to um, you as an artist, and especially in this performance coming up at Format Festival. And I'm fascinated to hear more about this because you do kind of group hypnosis, if I'm right, and you bring your clinical um, hypnotism into your performance. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, that too is an evolution of the work, no? Because as I said to you earlier, when I realized the more that I worked with motion or motion restriction, the happier the person in the cords would become and the higher, basically, high on uh, dopamines, high on endorphins. And it's a physical state, no? Of bliss. So... What happens in the theta frequency session is that I take away all of the knots, there are no knots in my device. Your body is free, but you are floating. And the brain does exactly what it does when you have an orgasm. You basically go into an orgasmic state from a neurological point of view because your brain starts to emit the theta brainwave frequency which is emitted when you are doing yoga and meditation on a certain level. So what happens in the, in the Tita frequency session is that I do biofeedback on the person who is in the flotation position. Then I begin to touch them. And when I touch them, the brain is responding and I'm capturing that frequency that is being emitted in this blissful state. So it's a very low-grade trance, basically. And the goal, I think that there's seating for 2,000 people at Format. So I've never done such a big group. At the Museum of Modern Art in Paris, I did 80 people per session. And for me, it's the same thing as, as that, you know, 2,000, 10,000, one-on-one. It's the same because we just have to be present with each other. So if everyone in the room is present we can just take a moment to tap into that space where the brain is actually able to rest and be free and in the present moment.
2: Wow, I can't wait. And the thought of 2,000 people are kind of in this collective trance sounds an unbelievable experience. Um, I will definitely be in the audience I will put links to the tickets in the show notes because this will be a record even for you. So can't wait to experience that. In the book, you write about how the subconscious is playful. So let's say you're listening and you do have a partner you'd like to be more playful with, but yet you feel, I don't know, somewhat ashamed of even suggesting such a thing. What are your thoughts about that? How do you encourage people to express their curiosity with their partner uh, when it comes to just exploring different forms of intimacy?
1: Well, first of all, if you feel embarrassed, it's what most people feel. And we feel embarrassed because we haven't been given the keys. And when there is lack of understanding, there's fear. And when there's fear, there is also fear of communication. So I think that what's important is to, well, possibly read the Boudoir Bible, So that you understand that everything is okay and you're totally normal and pass it on. You know, I think that one of the positions that in in the couple that is very dangerous is that when uh, a woman takes over and becomes the teacher or vice versa, the man takes over and becomes the teacher of the couple. So that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, to ease that responsibility. Nobody has to do it. Just read the book, right? I think that in terms of erotic communication, it is um, really a question of doing it at the right time in the right space and just saying what you want. You know, if you say to somebody, I really would like to feel what it feels like for you to suck my feet. You know, they may say, Oh no, honey, I can't do that. Then you could roll over and say, well, let me show you, you know, keep it two way and be prepared to defend yourself. (laughs) You know? And that is about that is by being educated. It's really that simple. To discuss it is just about finding the right moment and be clear about what you want and ask for it. What
2: question do you find yourself getting asked the most?
1: How do I keep this incredible vibration that I feel with this other person alive? Mm. How do I continue to experience the connection that I feel with this person today? A lot of people that I work with are also couples that have been together for 25 years and they've known that they they figured out how to, to work it. And then they hit a spot after a few years where they need a little bit of help. But I think it is the question, like, how do I continue to kindle desire? No. Also because sadly it's a fact. At a certain point, you know, that crazy feeling that we have when we like someone and it, there's a connection and you're, find yourself like sneaking around the corner to have a little snog whenever you could, you know, that is not sustainable by the human body. That kind of connection was rare when it happens. And when it does, uh, it couldn't happen and continue like that on for 10 years. I think distance is a good way to kindle things as well, not disappearing acts, but not always being together can help to kindle desire. And again, it's about the art of loving and like any other art We have to get some skills under our belt, but we need to have a better understanding. Otherwise, we leave everything up to spontaneity and chance. And in a relationship, after a while, the phenomena of that chemical craziness that happens in the beginning of a relationship that's going strong, it dies down. The sexual aspects of a relationship tend to fall to the wayside, and it becomes more of an obligation or something that you have to do, which is... Such a pity, because it is one of the few moments in life where adults actually can close the door, not have a buddy in, the, in their business, and do it for pleasure and for fun and to play so I think I think again, you know the, having a, a skill set, learning about the body, understanding what you 're doing, understanding how important it is also to keep your sexual vibration flowing for me. It's something that we are actually doing before we're born. You know, They see that little fetuses are actually stroking themselves. They masturbate inside the womb. And then that should go on until the day we die. Shared, uh, self-pleasuring, whatever it may be. It's such an important part of our wellness.
2: And this reminds me of a question that I wanted to ask you. And I think I heard you say this uh, during another interview, how we've lost the art of love. And I guess this obviously fits in with this idea of those relationships, how, how love changes, moving from that infatuation love to suddenly this safe love in many ways when you've fallen into this partnership with someone. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, I think there's so many misunderstandings about what love is and what a loving relationship can be and can become. No, again, if you think that you're going to have that wild, um, I'm going to, Take you behind the corner and shag you right now, feeling with someone for eternity. It's a bit naive. But what happens after those crazy moments of absolute lust start to subside is where the connection really starts. I've been told before also, oh, I can't have sex with somebody that I don't love. Well, how is that possible? Like, I've got to make love to you to fall in love with you. Mm. How can you have sex with someone? that you barely know, consider that love. It's a bit confusing, this idea that, you know, when people say, I can't have sex with someone unless I'm in love with them. In fact, these are the people that i work with that have not had sex for 10 years. Mm. So the love starts with you, you know. Um, I I really firmly believe that when you understand yourself, you know yourself, you respect yourself, then all the rest comes to fruition on its own, no? Uh, Because you won't accept less. Remember that I also work a lot with abuse victims. In that way, there's a lot of reassociating the sexual persona with the persona, with the person that is in front of me. The sexuality has been put on the side. Couples who get a bit too comfy and a little bit sexually bored need to be aware of that. And again, find ways to rekindle because pleasure is the glue. Pleasure is the bonding power it is important to a healthy relationship. I've worked with people who have completely asexual relationships as well, but they have intimacy. So again, I think we also need to redefine the way that we describe sex. No, what is sex? Mm. Is self-loving sex? Yes, it is. Any act that is enjoyed for the pure outcome of erotic pleasure is sex. It doesn't have to be penetration. We've been told that sex is just penetration, No. Mm-hmm. And that opens up all sorts of conversations because you know today in the virtual world that we're living in, I've been asked many times: Is it a violation of our agreement to be monogamous if he or she is having a, a virtual relationship via the phone only? And there's it's a big question because in a way, yes, mm-hmm. if you spend three hours with your virtual lover and fall asleep with your real lover without having even a moment of intimacy at all then yes it's a violation it means that you're having phone sex with someone so it's still sex right but if you love yourself first because nobody's going to love you more than you can love yourself ever you can just come to terms with that whether you like it or not sounds really hard but no one's going to love you more than you're going to love yourself no one but if you love yourself to the core then you probably end up finding somebody who loves you for everything that you are and is on the same wavelength
2: What? is your new book about? And tell us all about that because the Boudoir Bible, I think, should be on the curriculum. (laughs) I feel like every single person needs to read it. It's like kind of a human right to understand what uh, you've written in there. So I'm dying to know what could possibly be in a second book.
1: Well, I guess I couldn't have called it the Boudoir Bible if it wasn't pretty complete. I tried to be as complete as possible. But thank you so much, Poppy. It is... I know it's chock full of all kinds of advice, and I avoided in the Boudoir Bible uh, talking about my my work with um, uh, victims of sexual abuse. Um, I took a pro pleasure uh, focus and pleasure for pleasure's sake focus. I wanted the Boudoir Bible to be for everyone. And my jewelry, of course, is, is custom made. It's made in noble materials. It's handcrafted. It has a price tag on it. You know, my collectors are collectors of fine art. And it's not democratic. And I wanted to do something for everyone. And so the Boudoir Bible doesn't talk about the jewelry. It doesn't talk about my work. When I talk about instruments of flagellation, I'm not talking about mine. I'm talking in general, you know, about a whip, a flogger a paddle, whatever it may be. Paradise Found is the name of the erotic collection. It's 420 pieces. And I felt that after 30 years of photography with incredible photographers, incredible artists, incredible illustrators, that it was maybe time to put all of that material which would have otherwise been forgotten because some of it comes, for example, uh, from major uh, magazines, some of which are no longer around even paper magazines and sometimes they were stories. Like I saw a huge story with with, uh, Nick Knight for wallpaper many years ago. And if we hadn't republished it, it would have just been sort of lost in, you know, the fast moving paper magazines that, uh, you know, they end up in the trash at the end of the day. But I felt like it was time to put all of that incredible work, which was inspired by the jewelry. They are interpretations of these people and I think that you'll be excited when you see it.
2: Well, I will put links to the new book in the show notes for everyone to be able to have access to that. Bethany, you are such an inspiration, and I cannot wait to be a part of your 2000 person trance at Format Festival.
1: I cannot wait. Will you please sit in the front row? <laughs>
2: Yes, yes. I'll be sitting there with all my friends because we're so excited. Where is the best place to find you? Do you prefer newsletters or is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? How can people follow your work uh, moving forward?
1: So, of course, Instagram is Bethany Vernon. It's a verified account. There's also Bethany Vernon Official uh, on Instagram. And there is, of course, Facebook. And my website is BettanyBernon.com. And in there, you will find a newsletter to sign up for. And there is also a place to contact us directly through on contacts on the website. And you can write an email to me.
2: Perfect. And we'll put all of that in. So for now, I'll see you in a few weeks.
1: Yes, fantastic.
2: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review, and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know Shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row